On this episode of Rev Hang, Ben and I talk about the MotoGP Italian Grand Prix, the Indy 500, and the Monaco Grand Prix. Let's do it. Hello everybody, and welcome to Rev Hang. I am your resident car nerd and host, Nathan Nevue. Alongside me today is my fellow gearhead, chess warrior, and good friend, Ben Bagley. How's it going on this fine evening, Ben? I haven't played chess in a long time, actually. I have a game that's been in progress with my roommate for seven months now. So uh, I might have to find a different title to add to my Tinder, but that's fine. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Seven months seems like that's how long some chess games take. (laughs) Anyways, uh, this is not a chess podcast. This is a racing podcast. So let's just move on into our racing because we've got quite a bit to go over today. We'll start with MotoGP and the Italian Grand Prix in Mugello. This is my favorite MotoGP track, so it was a lot of fun to watch this race. Um, there's lots of really, really long, long uh, sustained turns that you know make motorbike racing interesting. Um, it's good for car racing, too. We did have the uh, Tuscan Grand Prix here for Formula One a couple years ago. And uh, the racing was pretty good. There was actually quite a bit of chaos, especially on the uh, the main straight with some uh, safety car shenanigans. But regardless, let's just move into the qualifying order for MotoGP and the Italian Grand Prix. In first place was pretty uh, surprise surprise driver up there, Fabio Di Gianantonio, followed by Marco Bezzecchi. Luca Marini, Joan Zarco, Francesco Bagnaia, Fabio Corderaro, eh, Fabio Corderaro, Alace Espargaro, Taka Nakagami, Paul Espargaro, and then in 10th is Inea Bastianini. Then the rest are just kind of randomly scattered throughout, as you would imagine. Um, but the the big story was the top three qualifiers, Dijan Antonio, Bedzeki, and Marini. Those three are usually near the back, and they qualified top three this race. So pretty cool to see them up there. Um, in addition to that, Ducati has been dominating, um, and that continued in Italy. Most, I think the top five of the top six finishers, I believe, are on Ducati's. Uh, actually, no, that's not true. Looks like Aspargaro is up there for Aprilia as well. But um, lots of Ducatis north towards the top, and they're, they're absolutely destroying this championship. Um, when the race started, Benyaya made his way to the front pretty early on, and he led for the rest of the race. Uh, there was not even really a challenge. After he got in front, he was able to pace all the, all the bikes behind him by about keeping them about a second back um, for literally like 23 of the 25 laps. Uh, Quartararo made his way up to second towards the beginning as well, passing the three newer newer riders. Um, but then there was this really heated battle at the end of the race. Uh, well, actually, it was all throughout the race, really, between Espargaro, Zarco, Bedzeki, Marini, and Bender. Um, all all right in that group vying for the third spot, and uh, that was that was quite the battle. They were they were swapping around a bunch, but uh, in the end, Espargaro came out in third place. Um, a notable after this race, Mark Marquez will be taking a break from MotoGP due to a uh, surgery he's got coming up on his arm. He 
had a pretty bad crash a couple years ago, uh, breaking his humerus, and this will be his fourth surgery for that, and uh, so we wish him a speedy recovery, and hopefully he can get back on a bike sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's unfortunate too, because he's actually been having some pretty good races. Yep, he's been doing pretty well on his return, but uh, yeah, he did need that extra surgery. Hopefully this will do it, and uh, when he gets back from the rehabilitation process, then I'm sure will take several months. Um, hopefully he'll be good to go, probably starting next season. Cool. But uh, yeah, and uh, also Jorge Martin finished in the points. Let's go. This is the guy who's who's been DNFing every race, so it's good to see him kind of hopefully turning it around. You never Everyone know. loves an underdog story. Yeah, so hopefully he uh, he can get a season going. But uh, anyway, let's just go over the results real quick. In first place was Francesco Bagnaia, followed by Fabio Cordararo, Elias Espargaro, Johan Zarco, Marco Bedzecchi, Luca Marini, Brad Binder, Taka Nakagami, Miguel Oliveira, Mark Marquez in, uh, in 10th. In 11th was Fabio Di Antonio, followed by Maverick Vinales, Jorge Martin, Alex Marquez, Jack Miller, Darren Binder, Franco Morbidelli, Michelle Pirro, Remy Gardner, Andrea Davizioso, Raul Fernandez, and Lorenzo Savadori. Those were the finishers. The non-finishers were Inea Bastianini, Alex Rins, Juan Mir, and Paula Spargaro. Man, that DNF list is crushing to read. Uh, again, Alex Rins just... <sighs> He'll get there. He was doing so well at the start of the season, and he just can't seem to finish a race now. Yep, some uh, rough luck for him. Uh, in the past couple races, hopefully he can get his season turned around. Bastianini has also had some uh, had some rough luck lately. Um, and Joan Mir, yeah. so yeah, Joan Mir just crashed out last race, didn't he? I believe so in the French Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah, yeah that so was uh, unfortunate pattern for them. Yeah, hopefully they can put a stop to that and. Uh, keep fighting for the championship because the top two are kind of breaking away a little bit i believe the top two in the championship at the moment are quarteraro and elisa spargaro and they're kind of breaking yeah. away from everybody because they've been very consistent uh very consistently up at the top i think they said um this is elisa spargaro's like fourth third place finish in a row or something like that which is kind of nuts yeah but yeah so he's been doing really well but anyway, let's move on from MotoGP to the Indy 500. Uh, this is obviously one of the big races, the big three we have every year. Uh, the other two being Monaco, which we'll talk about this podcast, and then the 24 Hours of Le Mans, which we will talk about the next podcast, because that is in two weeks' time. Yes. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so we'll just go over the first four rows of qualifying again, just for some context. Um, and on the first row was Scott Dixon, Alex Pillow, and Renus VK. Second row was Ed Carpenter, Marcus Erickson, and Tony Kanan. Third row was Patricia O'Ward, Felix Rosenquist, and Roman Grosjean. And the fourth row was Takuma Sato, Will Power, and Jimmy Johnson. Okay. Yeah, some notable uh, absences there. Colin Herta managed to flip his car 
during qualifying, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that when you have it in the the script to talk about. But man, that was a crazy crash. Yeah, I don't think I actually do have it in the script to talk about, but uh, I think it was actually on Carb Day when he crashed. So that's the last practice oh. before yeah. for the uh, for the big race. Um, so yeah, you're right. Yeah, so it was on the Saturday before the race, I believe. Colton Herta came out of turn two a little too hot, lost the rear end, and spun into the wall, and ended up um, flipping his car over, and he took a ride about halfway down the, the back straight, upside down, sparking as he went along. Yeah, that's um, a big one for the arrow screen there. Yeah, that's uh, one of the big, one of the few big moments we've had for the arrow screen recently. Um but yeah, he was very safe. He was cocooned in there. There was nothing going to get in, in, or, in, in or out of that cockpit. So pretty yeah. safe. And it was really cool to, to see the, uh, the reaction time of the emergency team. They were pretty much there as soon as he stopped moving. Yeah, the IndyCar um, safety team is some of the best of the best in the business. They, I, I paid attention pretty closely to how quickly they got to each car, especially after the Herta crash. And... Every time a car crashed this weekend, they were there within 10 seconds of the incident happening. So, very, very impressive stuff from the IndyCar safety team, and a lot of other series have a lot to learn from them. Yep. All right, so, let's get on to the race. Um, when the race started, Scott Dixon took a pretty early lead, along with Alex Pillow. Uh, they swapped back and forth every couple laps. Um, it's actually faster and more efficient for two cars to swap the lead back and forth uh, than it is for just one car to lead and the other to follow. So Sounds similar to like a DRS train almost. Kind of, um, but this is where drivers kind of work together to break away from the pack a little bit. Um, it's just some strategy that teammates will go over because I believe Pillow and Dixon were teammates, I think. Um, so... Yep, they worked together to get out in the front at the beginning of the race. And they were out in front for most of the race, actually. But uh, VK also entered the picture. He pretty aggressively challenged for the lead several times, ended up in the lead for a couple laps. Um, but then about a quarter of the way into the race, he ended up crashing in turn two. Turn two seemed to be the problem corner for most cars this week. There were so many crashes in turn two. Yeah, it almost seemed like you're just swapping the colors in the cars in Photoshop whenever you took a clip from a, a cur uh, turn two crash. Yeah, every single crash looked almost exactly the same. So, <laughs> kind of a problem corner this week. Might have been the wind. That would be my guess, just the direction the wind was going. Because um, that can have quite an impact on the car, especially at an oval where you're on the very edge of grip. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Serena's VK crashed into turn two, causing a full-course yellow. Uh, a bunch of drivers dove into the pits and uh, took the first pit stops of the race. Because, um, obviously, pitting under yellow, you lose less time than pitting under green. So that is yeah. the ideal time to do it. And especially in a, a race like the Indy 500, where you're putting in 200 laps and uh, pit stops. You have to take fuel and tires and all that good stuff. Uh, any t any chance you have to reduce your your pit time under yellow is a good one. Yeah. Um, so we had several full course yells over the race that uh, helped a lot of teams with their strategy. 
uh, after we get we went green again we went for I think another 30 laps or so with uh, not a lot happening but then Callum Eilat the rookie crashed in turn two again it was a copy paste crash of VK's and Herta's pretty much um, a full course yellow came out uh, the race leader at the time Alex Pillow entered the pits during the full course yellow however as he was entering the pits, the, the pit lane closed and the light signifying that came on right as he hit the point of no return mark. So he ended up with a pretty hefty penalty when he really didn't do anything wrong. He just got really unlucky with the timing because it was literally less than like a quarter of a second between the light coming on and him crossing the line. Yeah, it was super unfortunate to see that. Yep. So he ended up pitting like three times. I don't even know what happened the first time because I don't think he took tires or gas the first time he pit because of that penalty. Because um, then he had to pit again for emergency service because he ran out of fuel, but that was during the full course yellow and the pit lane was closed, so he got another penalty for that. <laughs> and then he had to drive through the pit lane again during the green to serve the penalty, I guess. I don't know. It just... <laughs> <laughs> seemed like All everything fell apart he, for him. He finished really well uh, for the whole snafu. Yeah, considering he basically had two extra pit stops, he still finished ninth, I believe. Yep. So, um, yeah, very good recovery drive. I'm sure if that didn't happen, he probably would have won. Him and Dixon both looked like they were set to win. Um, yeah. But uh, Dixon's troubles had not started yet. They'll start a little later in the race. But we'll go over that bad. when we get there. Yeah, bad times are yet to come. Yep. So after the Pillow incident, it was kind of business as usual again. Um, between Dixon and I believe O'Ward and uh, his whole group um, up at the front. Uh, instead of Pillow, it was O'Ward and uh, Connor Daly, actually. Um so they were fighting it out, and then Roman Grosjean, unfortunately, had a copy-paste crash in turn two, um, losing the rear, spinning backwards into the wall, just like everybody else. Caused a full-course yellow. Um, drivers dove into the pits, did their thing, and then on the restart, Padua Ward was able to get a massive run on Daly and uh, Scott Dixon, and was able to take the lead of the race, followed by Dixon and then Rosenquist, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah. Those those four drivers were almost there at some points. They were four wide. Yeah, they were really going out for of the cautions. It was super cool to watch and see who could uh, stick to the outside the longest before having to dive back into the line. Yeah, it was definitely nuts. There were several points during the race where they were going four or five wide down the straight, and it was like, okay, who's going to back out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the. The difficult part of Indy 500 and a lot of the IndyCar oval races that people kind of miss, uh, it can seem kind of boring from just the surface level, but when you're actually watching it and seeing it's a real challenge of who can exit the sticky line for the longest to try to overtake uh, outside that big line of cars. So it really comes down to bravery and how you can manage a car going over 200 miles an hour on a dirty part of the track. Yep. So after that, Scott Dixon continued to challenge for the lead, um, followed by Rosenquist and Daly, and then Marcus Erickson also entered the picture later on. Um, Scott McLaughlin then crashed in turn three. This was the only non-turn two crash, I believe, of the entire 500. Um, it was actually a pretty bad one, too. 
because turn three is coming off of the back straight, which is very long, so you're, you're going your full 240-ish miles an hour at the entry to that corner. Um, so we hit the wall, uh, slid down the track, across the infield, and then back up the track in turn four, and hit the wall again. Narrowly missing, I forget who it was, but uh, there was one driver that got pretty lucky not to get collected in that whole incident. Oh yeah, that was such a high-speed crash. Yeah, the uh, the second impact, I imagine, hurt more because uh, race cars are only designed to take one impact. They have crumple zones, just like a, a road car. And so once those crumple zones or failure points break, they can't obviously break again. So uh, he hit the wall the first time, and he did hit the wall slower the second time, but there was not nearly as much safety uh, equipment protecting him, so I imagine that second uh, impact hit uh, hurt him pretty well, uh, pretty pretty bad. Well, it didn't hurt him, um, but you could tell he was breathing pretty heavy after that last impact. Yeah, it'd be hard enough to feel that, especially you know the car's spinning around. You kind of completely lost control. You can kind of see a crash coming sometimes, so you can kind of try to reduce the felt impact of the first impact. But by that second one, he was just kind of skidding around like a MotoGP driver or rider after they crash off their bike. Yeah, that's kind of one of the scary things I'd imagine about getting in a crash um, is after you crash, if you're still moving, like you have no idea where you are. Nothing you can do. Yeah, you're completely disoriented and you're just a passenger, so you just got to hope for the best. Um, so, yep. Unfortunately, Scott McLaughlin, another, I believe, rookie in the ovals. I don't remember if he raced last year. I know he was in IndyCar last year, but I don't remember if he raced the ovals. I know Grosjean didn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, he unfortunately crashed in turn three and was unable to finish the race. Um, that brought out a full course yellow, and Scott Dixon went to go pit for his last pit stop and unfortunately was caught speeding in the pit lane as he outbraked himself going in. Um, went in a little too fast and caught a drive-through penalty, which means he had to drive through the pit lane again on the next lap. Yeah, that was super unfortunate for him. Yeah. Yeah, there were only 25 laps to go, so a penalty like that this late in the race was pretty much the nail in the coffin for him. Um, so unfortunately that was, that was it for Dixon's chance at the 500. But then, out of nowhere, Marcus Erickson started sneaking his way to the front. Um, I guess he's earned the nickname the Sneaky Swede. That's what they kept calling him on the broadcast. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of true because it seems like he'll qualify around ninth or 10th usually, and then he'll end up 4th or 5th or, or higher even. Uh, he kind of just sneaks up on you, and you don't really see him that much, but he always ends up near the front in every race. Yeah, although this time he started... Uh second row for this race yes he did start up higher this race but uh still he was kind of in uh he was kind of unnoticed i didn't even really notice him until like lap 180 or something like that and i was like wait a minute wait where did he come from where did he come from (laughs) yeah so um yeah it was a battle between erickson and award and rosenfist and i think tony canon for the next 20 laps or so and then with five laps left, Jimmy Johnson crashed into turn two, unfortunately. And uh, so they actually flew the red flag, which that was interesting and brings up another topic of conversation. 
Um, they threw the red flag not because it was too dangerous on the track, but they wanted to end the race as a race, if at all possible. So Interesting. Um, this is kind of what I feel like they should have done in Abu Dhabi. Just uh, let that final crash end the race where it is. Well, not let the final crash end the race, but they throw the red flag. There were like five laps left in Abu Dhabi anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So if they actually flew the red flag instead of safety car, they could have a, they could have had all the all the cars come in. Hamilton could have changed his tires as well as Max, and Max would have been in second. So that would have solved that problem, and it would have been like a five lap sprint race to the end, which would have been absolutely nuts. Oh, I see what you mean by that. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I feel like that's how they could have done Abu Dhabi a, li- a little differently last year. Uh, but uh, anyway, this is IndyCar. They flew the red flag. All the drivers came in. And then once they got the incident cleaned up, they sent them back out. And uh, it was pretty much an award and Erickson dogfight until the last lap when Sage Karim crashed into turn two in the same way as everybody else. And uh, the race ended under caution with Marcus Erickson winning the race, followed by O'Ward and Rosenquist. Yep. Yeah, or actually, O'Ward and Kanan, just... sorry. Yeah. Uh, one thing I gotta say, just from watching the overall broadcast, is I really like listening to the uh, the team radios in IndyCar much more than F1. Mm-hmm. It's much more... Uh, not so much just being picked out for the interesting stuff, but... It's just kind of a stream of constant radio chatter, and it's, it's pretty cool to listen to. Even just, you know, encouragement from the pit crew, uh, pointers from the driver, etc. Yeah, it kind of gives you a little bit better window into what the driver is actually going through. Whereas I think in the F1 radios, it's more, like you said, picked out to kind of tell a story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we'll just go over the results real quick for... The Indy 500, and there were 34 drivers, so bear with me. Um, winning the race was Marcus Erickson, followed by Pato Award and Tony Kanaan, and then in fourth was Rosenquist, followed by Rossi, Daly, Castroneves, Pagano, Palo, and Ferrucci in tenth. In eleventh was Juan Pablo Montoya, followed by Hildebrand, Newgarden, Ray Hall, Power, Malukas, Kirkwood, Lungard, Carpenter, and DeFrancesco in twentieth. 21st was Scott Dixon, followed by Andretti, Karam, Harvey, Sato, Wilson, and Kellett. And then the non-finishers were um, Jimmy Johnson, Scott McLaughlin, Colton Herta, Roman Grosjean, Callum Eilat, and Renus BK. Yeah, it was kind of disappointing again. Colton Herta had backlash from that crash that he had on Saturday. Uh, he had yeah. the backup car. But it was just, it was so slow that they just pulled him out of the race. Well, actually, um, yeah, so Herta didn't crash, uh, but he did, like you said, have the backup car. And that was the first time that he had actually driven the car was on race day. So um, it wasn't quite ready to be raced, I don't believe. Uh, The the reason they retired was they actually had a throttle sensor issue. Um, So that was what caused the problem that caused him to exit the race but yeah it was very unfortunate if he had a tuned and broken in race car i'm sure he would have done a lot better yep or at least that's the hope hopefully but uh anyway let's go on let's talk about the championship standings after the indy 500 because of course 
the Indy 500 offers double points compared to a regular IndyCar race. So the order has actually shaken up quite a bit in the IndyCar standings. So leading the IndyCar championship now is actually Marcus Erickson. He's leading by 13 points, uh, followed by Padua Ward, Alex Pillow, Will Power, Joseph Newgarden, Scott Dixon, Scott McLaughlin, Simon Pagino, Felix Rosenquist, and Colton Herta in 10th place. So some pretty uh, fresh names up at the top of the group. Um, Award had a rough start to his season, but now he's right in the mix. Um, Pillow drops down after having a bad 500, and Marcus Erickson shoots up way up there uh, after winning the 500. So lots of interesting stuff happening in the in the standings. Yeah, it's a pretty tight top four right now. Yeah, it's still anybody's game. IndyCar is wild, and anything can happen up until like the last race or two of the season. All right, let us move on to my favorite series, Formula One. Let's go. Let's go. Um, the Monaco Grand Prix took place this week, and uh, we were expecting some uh, Monaco-isms, like uh, no passing, boring race, falling asleep on the couch kind of stuff. But uh, in the weather forecast for the race, all week it said it was going to rain pretty heavily. So uh, I was looking forward to it all week. And then it came up, and I woke up at 5.30 in the morning my time and looked at the weather for Monaco, and it said it was dry as a bone. (laughs) And uh, so uh, (laughs) I was pretty disappointed. But then I turned on the TV, and all of a sudden they're saying it's going to start dumping rain in 10 minutes. So (laughs) I don't know. It was a roller coaster of weather forecasting. Yeah, but uh, moral of the story, it it did, in fact, dump rain on Monaco. Yes, it did, in fact, dump rain at Monaco, which made it a pretty interesting race. Um, so let's go over the qualifying order real quick so you have some context. On pole position was Charles Leclerc, followed by Sainz and Perez, and then in fourth was Verstappen, followed by Norris, Russell, Alonso, Hamilton, Vettel, Ocon, Tsunoda, Bottas, Magnussen, Ricardo. Schumacher, Albon, Gasly, Stroll, Latifi, and Joe. Yep, so big winners here. Obviously, Ferrari uh, able to get that 1-2 lockout was really good for them for qualifying. Um, It didn't really translate into the race itself, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, Norris being able to get into the top fives is really, really good for McLaren. Just a little bit of hope. And then Alpine again got both of their drivers into the points, along with Vettel, who finished ninth. In qualifying, yeah. In qualifying, yes. Yep. So, yep. Um, there are also some people struggling. Um, Daniel Ricciardo, down in 14th, still not able to get his head around that McLaren. Yep, and um, uh, Gasly, too. Yep, Gasly and Stroll. Six places behind Tsunoda. Yep. So, uh, and then Stroll finished 18th, which was like nine places behind Vettel. So, um, yeah. a couple people Pretty struggling, but that's... That's how it goes in Monaco. Um, but yeah, uh, Q3, notably, um, Sergio Perez crashed at the end, which ended up sealing the 1-2 for Ferrari, um, as he was unable to get a second lap in along with his teammate. Um, so he actually had to change his gearbox along with Sainz, because Sainz spun out 
after Perez and crashed into him. <laughs> yeah, it was a blind corner, and uh, Sainz didn't quite see the yellow flags in time. Yeah, they were pretty pretty tight together, so yeah, kind of saw Sainz just kind of spin drift right into the parse Perez. Yep. Um, also, Mercedes seemed to be struggling with their balance again. Uh, they were complaining about bumping all the way through the track, um, which is the problem that they supposedly solved last week, but doesn't seem like yeah. they've quite figured it out yet. Yeah, and on track like Monaco, where you're essentially driving on the curbs for most of the course, uh, through all the chicanes and really tight corners, the, the bumping problem can be pretty significant hindrance. Yep. But uh, that was qualifying, and then on race day, the forecast, like I said, kept changing, but it finally ended up dumping rain right as the race was about to start, which caused all sorts of delays. Um, initially, it was a 10-minute race start delay. They started behind the safety car, uh, did two or three laps, and then they ended up red flagging the race because it was too wet, and it was definitely too wet, because on some of the shots, you'd literally see like rivers flowing down the street and like waves in those river it was it was wild <laughs> it was so much rain yeah um but anyway so they they kept delaying the race uh they kept extending the delay and ended up not really starting the race until like an hour and five minutes later um but anyway they did end up getting it underway uh it was kind of, there was kind of some controversy as to why they waited so long because it didn't rain that hard for that long um, what I've heard through the grapevine is that they, their start system, uh, and the whole timing system was down and there was like a power outage or something that caused that to break. So they had to fix that while, uh, while the race wasn't running, <laughs> but, uh, who knows? Um, we never really got told officially why there was such a long delay, but eventually the race did start behind the safety car. It was kind of a weird start. They didn't really announce the start of the race. It was kind of just like they went out onto the track and all of a sudden they were racing. Yeah. Yeah, it was really weird. Yeah, so um, like I said last last, uh, podcast with F1 Bingo, the it's lights out and away we go is the free space, but we didn't get that this week. We got so many things wrong this week. Yeah, Monaco was kind of wacky. It was was a very bizarre race. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, um, it, was, it was real boring in some parts and real concerning in others. Yep. On the formation lap, after they came out of the pits for the first time, Latifi and Stroll both crashed. Uh, Latifi in the really tight hairpin and Stroll in the casino section. Um, but uh, they were both able to continue. They, what They didn't crash bad enough to wreck their cars, um, luckily for them. <laughs> Just not a super great look. Gasly gambled all race on tire strategy, and it kept paying off for him. I mean, he was kind of the uh, the guinea pig for all the other teams. They just watched what he did and uh, followed suit once it started working for him. Yeah, which uh, seemed to work out okay. Yeah, uh, he went on to the intermediate tires before everybody else, which are the softer compound of wet tires. and um, They evacuate slightly less water than the full wets yep so it's for when it's uh when it's still raining or a little bit wet on the track um but not uh not full not full rain spec 
Yeah, and um, the benefit of the enters too is uh, as they wear down, they become more and more like slicks. Uh, you just have to watch the heat management on them, just like the wets. Yep. Yeah, so that's one of the advantages of the intermediate tires. We see a lot of <laughs> intermediate tires wearing down to slicks in the last couple of races in Turkey. So those are both great races if you want to go back and watch them. Um, but yeah, so Gasly went on the intermediate tires before everybody else and then started setting the fastest laps consistently. So um, Perez ended up following him in and uh, went on to the intermediate tires Leclerc responded to that by pitting, but he ended up doing it two laps later rather than the next lap, and that the undercut was strong enough for Perez to come out ahead of Leclerc, taking the net lead of the race. Um, but then a couple laps later, it got dry enough on the track to switch over to the dry tires, and Ferrari really misjudged their pit stops and called Sainz in with Leclerc about five seconds behind him, and then called Leclerc in on that same lap, not realizing that he was so close behind Sainz. And uh, they double-stacked him, and um, Leclerc ended up having to wait for several seconds for Sainz to finish his pit stop before he could get his. That cost him about three seconds worth of race time, and he came out behind Verstappen after Verstappen pit. Yep. Yeah, that was very, very unfortunate to see from Ferrari. Yep, so Leclerc... Was in first place, but because of two strategy miscues, dropped from first to fourth in about five laps. Yeah. Um, not great. The uh, Monaco curse <laughs> has not lifted, it doesn't seem. No, he really deflected the shot. Yeah, uh, he, <laughs> he had his DNF already this year, but he wasn't able to completely nullify the curse. As he did finish the race, and this is the first time he's ever finished a race in Monaco, so some some positives there, but he was still absolutely screwed over on strategy, and it was not his fault. Yep, the Ferrari master plan in full effect there. Yeah, not, not a great look for the Ferrari strategists, and uh, I'm sure they had some words after the race. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Perez and Verstappen... Did the same thing, they double-stacked the cars, but they did it successfully. They spaced the cars outright, so neither car lost time. They were able to overtake the Ferraris because of this. There was some drama with the Red Bulls because they both got pretty close to crossing the pit exit line, which you're not allowed to do. Um, there's this yellow line that goes, um, as you exit the pits, it goes along the track. You're not allowed to cross over it because there's cars going faster on the streets, so it's just a safety thing. You go to the end of the line, and then you're allowed to rejoin the track. Um, Verstappen and Perez got pretty close to crossing over that. Um, it was actually Verstappen who got really close, but because of some some really vague wording of the rules for that in the rule book, uh, Verstappen and Perez both got away with it and were not penalized. So their their finishing spots ended up standing. Uh, even though Ferrari protested it and wanted that to be changed. Sometimes the best pit strategists are actually lawyers. <laughs> exactly. Schumacher, after that, ended up crashing into the barriers uh, in the swimming pool section 
and uh, it was a pretty bad crash and ended up causing a red flag because the barriers had to be repaired. But, yeah, uh, we had a round two of Schumacher breaking car in half. Yep, just like Saudi Arabia, he hit the wall and broke the car in half. It looked way worse than it probably was. Um, he seemed really confused in the car as to what happened. <laughs> I don't think he quite understood why he crashed. Yeah, it looks... Like he might have hit a slick spot or just maybe twitched a little bit too much coming to that corner, but. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it does look like it kind of just snapped on him out of nowhere watching the replay, but it, it could just be he picked up a, a slick spot. He went over a wet spot on the road because it was still kind of wet at that point. Yep. Um, but uh, that caused a red flag, so all the, all the cars came in and were able to change their tire, tires before the race resumed. Um Perez and Verstappen both took the medium compound, and the Ferraris both took the hard compound. At this point, there was not enough time in the day left to run the full 78-lap race. Uh, the way it works in F1 is you have a three-hour window from the scheduled time the race is supposed to start to actually run the race. Um, and then you have a two-hour window within that three-hour window for actual racing. Um... So that just, that was implemented, it's been, there's been rules like that in the past, but the three-hour window was implemented last year because of Spa, hmm. um, where it got rained out and we just sat there and watched nothing happen for four hours. Uh, I will never forget that. <laughs> yeah, I won't forget waking up at 9 a.m. Pacific, uh, Pacific time and seeing the race was still alive on my phone and I was like, that's kind of weird, but I'll check it out. And then watch for about half an hour of just shots of the rain, and that was about it. Yeah, so that was a whole snafu, so I'm, I'm glad they implemented some kind of rule. Yep, so there was that rain out in Spa that implement that uh, convinced the rule setters to implement these new three-hour rules, um, which we actually got to see, uh, see in effect this week. Um, with about, I think, 45 minutes left uh, on that three-hour timer, they figured that there were not going to be enough, there was not enough time to run the rest of the 78-lap race. So they put a timer in the top of the um, driver order screen instead of the lap count. Uh, so it ended up looking more like a WEC race than uh, than a Formula One race. <laughs> yeah, IMSA style. I'm sure yep. Perez was uh, very thankful for that. Yeah, um, if I, I think that was the thought behind the Red Bulls going on the mediums. I honestly don't know why they put them on the mediums. It seemed like a way bigger risk than anything else. Um, I could see maybe them putting Verstappen on the mediums just to try and attack Sainz a little bit, but putting Perez on the mediums as well, all they were going to do is give him the chance of wearing out his tires too much. Yeah, on a track where overtakes are so notoriously difficult, I don't think mediums are super necessary. No, uh, I think they should have put Perez. Perez on hards. Yeah, but it worked out in the end. Yeah, so uh, the clock ran out, and Perez was really struggling with his tires at that time. But he was able to keep Carlos Sainz behind um, and, uh, yeah, solidify his title of the Mexican Minister of Defense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sainz did have some really good looks, especially through that chicane towards the end of the, the end of the race. Yep, Sainz really, really went for it. Um, 
I was actually surprised. He, he got really close to taking Perez out a couple times. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, he really went for it, and props to him for, for going for it. But uh, Monaco's Monaco, and it's so hard to, so hard to pass. Yep, and I'm sure after the, the whole pit strategy snafu, Ferrari is glad just to scrape second place. Yeah. They kind of salvaged the day. Yeah, but uh, another big story during the race was Fernando Alonso backed up Lewis Hamilton in, like, the second half of the grid. Oh, man. Uh, super hard. That just, um, you know, adds to the whole it's impossible to overtake in Monaco thing. Uh, apparently, he was going five laps, five seconds a lap slower than the front-running cars. Um, Absolute pace car. Yeah, basically, <laughs> uh, Total Wolf said that, you know, at that pace, it was basically an F2 car, and so he wanted to have <laughs> minimum lap times impl- implemented in the future, but that's just some classic Mercedes complaining. Yep. Yeah, all the big teams have been, uh, well, they've been pretty active with complaining about a whole bunch of stuff. And yeah. I think we can touch on after after this section. Yeah, but Alonso was going that slow to save his tires. He was on a tire management strategy. Um, and uh, <laughs> I asked him in an, inter- in an interview about it and what, what his thoughts were about it. And he's like, well, I had no problem holding up Lewis. That's how it goes. He should have gotten past me if he wanted to <laughs> go faster. <laughs> Um, and then they asked him if it was hard to keep him behind and he said, no, it was really easy. (laughs) Just brutal. Yeah. He's an absolute savage. Um, so yeah, Alonzo with some spice in there. (laughs) Worked out for him too, though. He came in seventh and Alcon was able to come in ninth. So Alpine had a great day. Yeah. Uh, very, very good day for Alpine. I just realized I don't think I put the results for that race on uh, on here on the script. <laughs> nope, I've been going off memory. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm just going to go pull so, one up real quick. I really hope that Alonso actually came in 7th and Alcon came in ninth, or else I'm going to look like an idiot. Again. <laughs> uh, Alcon got that penalty, so he didn't get 7th. Oh, dang it. Alonso got 7th. Oh, you think? Oh no, Akon was in ninth. That's right. I think. I was right. So Akon was in ninth, but then got the penalty and dropped down to twelfth. Oh, dang it! Yep. But you <laughs> did get Fernando right. He was in seventh. Okay, we'll call it a technicality. I was pretty close. Yeah, we'll get you in on technicality. All right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Perez ended up winning, followed by Sainz and Verstappen. The fastest lap went to Lando Norris. And the driver of the day went to Sergio Perez. Obviously. Yeah. Great day for him. I was really happy for him, uh, especially after Spain last time. Hmm. Yeah, he deserved it. Yeah, for sure. He deserved a race win. And uh, I think it's really cool that he got Monaco because that's a big one. Um, Yeah. A lot of drivers don't get the chance to win Monaco. so. Definitely. And I think that'll be good for... uh, He just signed his contract before the race, I know. Uh, to stick yeah. with Red Bull for a little bit longer. But <laughs> yeah, he definitely accidentally good... leaked his contract yeah. renewal. <laughs> yeah, but uh, definitely a good confidence booster to show, not just the team, but himself, that he, he can be right up there with Max and maybe even fight for the championship. Let's hope Red Bull allows him to do that. Yeah, I mean, he's right. Like you said, he's right in there with Max. Uh, they are very close together in the championship now. So it'll be interesting to see when the next time Team Mortars comes out is. 
I hope they wait until like the end of the season, and then I hope they don't if they're close in the championship. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean Perez has been killing it the last couple races, so he's just as much a championship contender as Verstappen, I'd say, because he was faster than Verstappen all week, even in the practice sessions. Yeah, and I, don't, I really don't see the relationship as something like Rosberg and Hamilton, where you know the the team had to implement orders or else uh, something terrible is going to happen to both the drivers. Right. Yeah, they're not they're not hostile to each other at all. It seems like they have a really good friendship going. So um, I don't think there's going to be any hostility or problems like that. I think there will be if they keep doing team orders when they're unnecessary, though. <laughs> yeah, I could see some tails being tucked because of that. Yeah. But, um, yep, so, you know, just a couple of talking points on this race. Uh, Leclerc's curse, still very much alive and well. So uh, unfortunate for him. Hopefully he gets on that Monaco podium in the future because I know that's one of his big goals. Yeah. Um, Pierre Gasly drove very well. He ended up coming 10th? Yes. No, 11th. My bad. So he did just finish outside the points, but he got 11th when he qualified, what, like 17th? Yeah. Yeah, so he, he charged through a field that's notoriously hard to make up places in. Yeah, making up six positions in Monaco is pretty remarkable. So, very, very good race for him. Um, George Russell maintained his top five finishing streak. He finished fifth in this race. Uh, I didn't think he was gonna, because he qualified... Where did he qualify? Sixth? Okay, so he was one position down, but uh, Mercedes struggling as much as they were this... this uh, this race i thought they were gonna that streak might end yep but no he proved us all wrong and uh came fifth again <laughs> yeah so consistency is key there yep uh on that same kind of note verstappen for the first time this season has finished a race without winning it so there goes the streak then ah dang it <laughs> i'm gonna have to find um, another useless statistic for now yep <laughs> Well, you could jump on the Russell top five thing, but, you know, yeah. um, maybe. Uh, Carlos Sainz still is uh, having trouble finding his first win. It's uh, it's going to be tough for him because he's going to have to beat Leclerc and Verstappen and Perez, obviously. Um, and I don't know if he's going to have a lot of shots to do that. I still think he's just really fast, but he just can't seem to get on the top step of the podium to save his life. Yeah, at this point, it seems the only chance he really has is to continue finishing uh, consistently high where Leclerc seems to have uh, hills and valleys, whether yeah. uh, it's the, the Monaco curse or the Ferrari Master Plan or uh, any other sort of mishap. That's the, the main reason so far that science seems to have been able to at least keep up somewhat with his teammate and the top of the field. Yeah. So hopefully, I'm hoping he can get a win here soon, because I, I really want to see him win before he probably gets booted out of Ferrari in a couple of years. Um, yeah. But I'm sure that'll happen. Um, also, Checo, Sergio Perez became the most successful Mexican driver, driver in history, and uh, the first to ever win Monaco in F1. Yeah, that was really cool to see. Yeah, he was tied with Pedro Rodriguez um from the 70s 
He was a Formula One driver back then. Um, unfortunately, lost his life in a sports car race. Uh, but he had two two F1 wins to his name, and Sergio Perez just took his third in Monaco. So, yep, Sergio becomes the most successful Mexican racing driver in F1 history. It doesn't look like he's going to slow down anytime soon. Yeah, he looks really good. He's he's at the top of his game for sure. Um, right, right where Red Bull need him. So I think, uh, I mean, I think Red Bull is going to start pulling away here. It's hard to say for sure, but Rebel seems on it, whereas Ferrari seems like they're kind of stumbling a little bit. Yep. Um. But uh, you know, speaking of struggling, you still got Latifi, Schumacher, and Ricardo all underperforming. Um, Schumacher got his first official warning from Günther Steiner this week for Haas. Um, and then Ricardo has been given warnings and, uh, still back in like 14th. Um, and then Latifi, I don't think is even going to make it to the second half of the season. I think he'll probably be replaced in the summer break because he's just terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He managed to find a wall again, uh, this race under safety car conditions. (laughs) Granted, it was it was pretty wet still, but that's fair. But still, <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. Red Bull, Red Bull stretched their lead in the championship this race, finishing first and third to Ferrari's second and fourth. All right, so that pretty much does it for Formula One. Uh, let's go into our overtake of the week. Uh, I gave this to Liam Lawson, Formula Two driver. Um, he overtook Marino Sato in the Monaco hairpin at their Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, there's actually quite a few series that do the Monaco race at the same time as F1. Just makes sense if they're going to shut a country down to do it all at once. Yep. Um, yeah. But yeah, so An lots of racing in Monaco. What's up? An overtake on the hairpin. Yeah, the really tight one. How do you do that? Uh, he sent it. <laughs> that's, that's why I gave it to <laughs> Just him. Just send it, I guess. Okay. Yeah, no, uh, Marino Sato left a little bit of room on the inside, and Lawson just dove in there and uh, made it stick around the inside. Um, he actually did two overtakes at that hairpin, and they were pretty much identical. The reason I didn't list the second one that he did is because he hit the car that he was overtaking and took the car out of the race, so I didn't feel like that was a good uh, overtake to put on overtake of the week. <laughs> Yeah, not really. Um, but yeah, so good job for that first overtake, at least, to Mr. Liam Lawson, who might be a future Red Bull Academy driver. Oh. Yeah, he's kind of the next guy in line to go into Toro Rosso, I think. And Yuri Vips as well. So, yeah. But let's move on to our Pit Stop Championship. Um, once again, uh, I looked, actually... Sergio Perez has won all but one of the pit stop <laughs> competitions this wow. year. He's running uh, with it. Yeah, he's had the fastest pit stop in every race except for Saudi Arabia. Um, but yeah, he won this one in Monaco uh, again by like a tenth of a second, so pretty big margin in terms of that. Um, but in second place was Hamilton, and in third was Alonso. So a good showing from Alpine. Um, after Alonso was Norris, and then Sainz, Akon, Vettel, Sunoda, Russell, and Joe, all with points. Um, so yeah, 
Um, Red Bull is absolutely running away with this championship. I didn't think it was going to be this bad. But just I mean, going down Red and Bull, looking at these gotta. championship standings here, uh, Red Bull in the pit stop championship is at 234 points. And the next highest team is McLaren at 111 points. So, <laughs> not even close. Yeah, I mean, Red Bull is kind of known for fast pit stops, so I'm glad to see that the, the rules changes around them haven't slowed them down at all. Yep. Relative but, to other teams. They still yeah, slowed them down, but... Yeah. Perez is still thrashing Norris in that respect, though. Or not Norris, uh, well, yes, but also Verstappen. Verstappen's in third place in the championship in terms of drivers uh, behind Norris. Um, so it's weird that Red Bull seems to be nailing Perez's pit stops. Uh, they're doing really good for Stappens too, but <laughs> it seems like Perez is getting the Just better pit enough. stops out of this deal. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm sure that's not intentional. Just yep. a nice coincidence. But um, yeah, so let's move on to our predictions that we made for the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, I believe... Who chose first? I think you chose first last week. Or Man, something. it's been so long since last week, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll choose first this week. Uh, so we'll have you go through your predictions for Monaco first. All right, so uh, I have Verstappen, Perez, Sainz, Russell, and Hamilton with Norris as my dark horse. Uh, all of those were completely wrong. Yeah. Um, so, to remind everybody, the top five were Perez, Sainz, Verstappen, Leclerc, and Russell. Um, my predictions were Sainz, Verstappen, Russell, Bottas, Hamilton, and my dark horse was Ricardo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've got this little chart here that uh, we've got on RevHang.com. You can go check it out if you want. Um it's uh it shows green if our guesses are right and red if our guesses are wrong and this is the first week where it's all red all the time everywhere <laughs> didn't yeah, get a single thing right this week it's really bad i mean at least i had uh four of the five drivers correct just in the wrong spot yeah uh, I, I didn't think leclerc actually finished the race so didn't have him in there but well that was a fair assumption that'd just... be fair yeah it was close but mm -hmm. the order is just all sorts of messed up yeah um let's move on to our fastest lap predictions yep i had verstappen and i had science and, the and fastest those lap were also both wrong yep, yep it went to norris and, and uh, finally driver of the day i had bottas <laughs> i had verstappen and uh, again we were both wrong it was perez it was perez so come back as it should have been yeah. All right, okay, next week. Okay, so uh, what are your race results for, or your uh, predictions for Baku? For Baku, Azerbaijan, um, very tough track. Lots of long yes. straights, uh, but also 90-degree yep. turns. We saw a lot of punctures there last year. Yep, hopefully Pirelli has their act together this time. Um, I'm going to save... I'm going to say Verstappen first, followed by Perez, and then Leclerc third, and hmm, 
I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say George Russell fourth and Sainz fifth. And then my dark horse will be Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> Alrighty. So I'm going to go and say I do think Verstappen will be first. I think we're going to have a clear after that. I think we'll have Sainz third, Perez fourth, and then I'm going to put Russell fifth for consistency's sake. And then my dark horse. Hmm. That's a dark horse this time is a tough one. I don't want to put Hamilton because he already he already said Hamilton. That seems unoriginal. So I'm gonna put Bottas. Alright. <laughs> okay, fastest lap. I think that's gonna to go to uh I'm gonna say Perez. And I'm going to say that goes to Verstappen. Okay. Driver of the day. I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say Sebastian Vettel. Interesting. I'm going to say Perez. I think Perez might have is going to have trouble with qualifying as usual. And then shoot to the top. Hmm. We'll see. There's only one way to find out. There is, in fact, only one way to find out, and that is to watch the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, which takes place in two weeks' time on June 12th. Or, you know, right. to watch our or listen to our podcast uh, a few days after that. Yep. Um, anywhere from two to five days after that, depending on scheduling. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bane of our existence. Oh, yes. Both very busy right now. Anyway, do you have anything else you would like to tell the lovely people, Ben? I do not. Enjoy your time in the sun. Use sunscreen. Stay in school. Yes. Use sunscreen. Stay in school. Don't do drugs. All that good stuff. Well, that all being said, thank you everybody so much for listening to this episode of Rev Hang. If you enjoyed it, leave a like or rating on the platform you listened on. It really helps us out. If you'd like to follow our thoughts and opinions on the motorsport world, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at RevHangMedia. If you have any thoughts or questions about racing or even about us, post a tweet at hashtag RevHangPodcast. We may feature your question in the next show. We'd absolutely love to interact with you guys. If you'd love to learn more about Ben's race car, you can follow his team at OIT Racing on Instagram. You can also follow Ben on Instagram at BenjiMeetsWorld and or myself at 2win underscore squared. While you're at it, go check out our website, RevHang.com, where you can find updated standings for the racing series we talk about, along with our horrific predictions for the F1 season. We'll return in two weeks to talk about the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, the 24 Hours of Le Mans, and the absolute flurry of IndyCar races that are coming up. But until then, I have been Nathan. And I've been Ben. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you guys later.